1: tangentially speaking listeners i'm not here to blow smoke up anyone's ass but i did just want to take a moment to say that this podcast has been a meaningful constant in a world of change not that change is necessarily a bad thing of course it can be great in fact one of the biggest changes of my life was a result of this podcast after hearing chris talk about spain for so many years and comparing the differences between Spanish and American culture, I decided that I wanted to see it for myself, but not just go for a couple weeks and come back, because a lot of times when people go on vacation, you know, they come back and you wonder if they really brought back anything with them at all. So I actually went there for a year and lived and taught English, and it was awesome. The other person that really inspired me to go to Spain was Professor Maguire. I had his class for a summer and it was great. He was extremely passionate about Spanish and particularly about Spanish culture. And it was contagious. And I realized for the first time that it was actually possible to live abroad and to travel and to to live in a way that was radically different than anything you would ever done before and that that was okay. I would have loved to have talked about Spain with Mr. McGuire but unfortunately he passed away a few weeks after that class ended. Suddenly he had a heart attack um, which was strange because you know you saw him every day, five days a week, and then all of a sudden things changed anyway um, really enjoyed the podcast Chris and uh, but also I would love love to hear more literature and poetry commentary um, I really miss that stuff from the Oregon days that you were doing the podcast man that stuff's important and we want to hear it all right much love hello tangentialists. Uh, Seamus, Sim, Nathan and the doc with the shame exercised cock Um, I'm speaking from Sarinkat in Nepal and I'm coming to the end of three months of travelling through India and Nepal and I just want to say none of it had anything to do with listening to your podcast for the past three years Um, but I just thought I'd let you know because I'm nice Cheers
2: Hi Chris and all you tangentially Speaking listeners, this is Quinn from Portland, Oregon in the US and I'm just calling to say hi because I was listening to the most recent episode and my friend Tom from Vancouver did the intro and I was like, what is that Tom? It is. So I felt inspired to call you up and say hi. Today, I have been making salad dressings for a farm that my partner and I are starting called Farm Punk Salads, and I'm just hoping that the world gets excited about salad and local farming. So, we'll see how it goes. All right, and happy spring. Bye.
3: All right, happy spring, everybody. Uh, To the first guy, I just wanted to say... um, I'm going to be starting a second podcast soon um, because, you know, I'm such a workaholic. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm starting a second podcast. I think it'll probably be monthly and it's going to be dedicated to literature of all sorts. It's going to be called What Makes This Book Great. And uh, I'm going to start by going back to pieces of poetry, essays, novels, nonfiction writing of short stories. um, Just stuff that I really love and explain why I love it, why I think it's great. Um, So I'll talk about Moby Dick. I'll talk about Huckleberry Finn, uh, Catch-22, Slaughterhouse-Five. Uh, short stories by Tobias Wolf, Raymond Carver, Flannery O'Connor. Uh, I'll probably talk about uh, Heart of Darkness, maybe a novel by D. H. Lawrence. Uh, I'd like to talk about um, Tropic of Capricorn and or Cancer by Henry Miller. Amazing Erotic Wild novels. Maybe some Hemingway particularly short stories, probably more than novels, maybe uh, The Great Gatsby. I mean, uh, The Unbearable Lightness of Being. There's so many books that are important to me um, and that I legitimately cream my jeans over that I would love to share uh, that enthusiasm and passion and whatever knowledge I have with listeners. So I'm going to do that on a separate podcast um, just because this podcast is already such a potpourri of, you know, me ranting and guests and Romas and Tomas and all the rest of it, it seems like a good idea to just do something completely separate where I don't, uh, swear and say crazy shit that scares away advertisers. Speaking of which, um, I'm going to be ranting for a while here. So if you just want to get straight to the conversation, you know, it's with uh, Chris Payne, who is, um, uh, A filmmaker. He did a film called, uh, let's see, Who Killed the Electric Car? He did another one called Revenge of the Electric Car and Do You Trust This Computer? He's a super interesting guy. He's he's a a real intellectual. um, And I don't mean the sort of boring, hanging around in the library kind of intellectual. I mean someone who thinks compulsively and very deeply. Um, honestly, we had this conversation pushing two months ago, so I don't really remember the details. I do remember feeling like, "Wow, I hope I get to hang out with this guy again. He's really interesting and smart, and um he's been around so uh, i'm I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, and i'm going to enjoy listening to it again with you, but before we get to that, I'm going to talk about lots of other stuff including let's see um you should definitely check out kyle tierman's podcast he had peter atia on i think i'm pronouncing that correctly um peter is a surgeon he was in hawaii with us on the the first hunting trip i went on a few weeks ago and the two of them sat down and did a podcast that was really excellent kyle's such a good interviewer and Peter is a fascinating guy. He specializes in longevity right now. That seems to be his his main focus, extending human longevity. But he's extremely knowledgeable. So if you're interested in in that kind of human optimization stuff, I uh, highly recommend Kyle Tierman's episode with Peter Atia. That's the Kyle Tierman Show. And you can find that at kyle.surf. What else did I want to say to you? Um Fleabag. There's a TV show. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, I just finished watching the second season. The first season's on Amazon Prime. I think the second season's coming in a week or two. Really interesting. It's a kind of comedy. Uh, It's definitely funny, um, but it's also moving and intelligent. It's written, starring, and directing a woman whose name I don't remember, but um it's a i think it was a bbc series originally um, it's how can i say this it, it's it's kind of like being inside the mind of um maybe you know 30 or so year old young woman who's very smart and very sexual and um, mostly i would say unashamedly sexual and it's it's like being in her head. It's seeing her trying to work out her place in the world. And the way it's produced and written is very clever and very interesting. So I won't say more than that, um, but highly recommend it. It's on Amazon Prime, Fleabag. Uh, what else did I want to say? I The whole um, advertising thing, this episode is... The last episode, I believe, that will be sponsored by Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R.com. You ever walk by a muddy puddle and say, I'd like to drink some of that? Well, neither have I, but Shane Heath, the creator of Mudwater, uh, apparently has. And he has put this stuff together, which is... A mixture of various mushroom extracts and um, spices from masala chai to cinnamon to uh, I think there might be some black pepper and they're also coming out with some new lines with different um, flavor profiles Um, but essentially this stuff is like um, a coffee substitute instead of making you jittery and nervous and you know uh sweaty armpits the mushroom extracts that they talk about are associated with um all sorts of good things happening to your brain neuronal growth for example Uh, paul stamets talks about um, some of the effects of some of the mushroom extracts that they use or maybe they're not even extracts they're they're actual mushrooms cordyceps and uh, chaga and all those sorts of things Um, very interesting. You can uh, make all sorts of different concoctions on their website. They talk about mixing up a little honey and some almond milk and frothing it, and you can do all sorts of things. So if you're looking for an alternative to coffee or maybe just something to um, go alongside your coffee, mud water is an excellent option. Um, Essentially, the podcasting experiment into advertising that we've been doing I'm not sure if it's going to work long term. It's, uh, it, you know, I'm in this strange place where, thanks to you, I've got an audience big enough that I think companies could be interesting. But uh, through my own fault, I guess, um, I tend to, it, it's, I think a lot of the guests and some of the conversations scare advertisers away so any big company you know we've had a couple of um, companies say oh yeah great this sounds really good let me listen to a couple episodes and then they never get back to us or they say well we've spoken to our um, you know our uh, publicity department and decided the profile doesn't quite fit that's just the way it is. You know, The uh, this is a very free-flowing podcast, shameless. We talk about whatever the hell we want to talk about. We use whatever language we want to use. So if they just look through the the list of guests and they see dominatrixes and porn stars and, uh, you know, drug smugglers and they listen to me ranting and raving about all sorts of things, you know, uh, that scares a lot of potential advertisers away and then the cool ones the the smaller companies that are um, more willing or even eager to be in that sort of fringe area they don't really have a budget for advertising so i don't know how it's going to go i think i'm just going to keep telling you about stuff that's cool and um, if companies are able to pay me or send me free stuff or whatever that's great if not it doesn't really matter i'm the whole point is to share stuff with you. And uh, if it helps finance the podcast, great. If not, I'm reliant on your support uh, through Patreon. Um, Some folks are working on a new website for me. And once that website goes up, I'll have um, a Patreon type thing set up on the website so you can donate more easily directly to me without going through Patreon. So if that Um, if you're not comfortable with Patreon, just hold on a few months and I'll have that set up. In the meantime, if you order stuff on Amazon and you go through the affiliate link on the Tangentially Speaking webpage, it's right up there at the top. If you use that link, uh, a small percentage of what you send gets kicked back my way, which is very helpful. Um, And then we've also set up a website called What Makes This Thing Great. Uh, And that's where we're going to I'm going to post things. Uh, There are already a bunch of things up there that I use that I think are are really um, good quality, lightweight hammocks, stuff for the van, um, some of the recording gear that I use, uh, even some clothing because, you know, I'm known throughout the world as a fashionable guy. Um, so you can see those things there, and uh, most of those are linked to Amazon. So if you end up buying something through the website, a small percentage of that gets kicked back. And if you want to recommend stuff, uh, particularly things that are related to travel, camping, um, van life, and you'll see you'll see the kind of stuff that's up there. Um, you know, it's sort of the philosophy is. Don't buy a lot of stuff. If you're going to buy something, research it, buy the right thing so that you use it for a long time and uh, save money, save material, save save a little uh, of the earth by not just buying and throwing away shit. Um, so if you have stuff like that, something you use that you really like, you're very impressed with its design and its manufacture, you can let us know at what makes this thing great at gmail.com com this episode is also sponsored by sc medicinals that's santa cruz medicinals they sell lots of cool stuff with cbd in it cbd is kind of a miracle substance as you may know it has effects that help kids um with uh tremors with um Uh, seizure problems. It's excellent for treating um, just localized pain. My uncle who has uh, stage four cancer, um, I gave him some of the samples that SC Medicinal sent me and it helped him a lot with uh, getting to sleep at night. Helps anybody get to sleep at night, not just people with, um, with serious medical conditions. Um, anyway, it's anti-inflammatory. Um, it's, it's some pretty cool stuff. So they've got it uh, embedded or infused in olive oil, in coconut oil. Um, they've got tinctures. They've got uh, skin creams, all sorts of stuff. If you order uh, more than $20, which you will because it's not cheap, um, you will get $5 off if you use the code CHRIS5. CHRIS5 at SCMedicinals.com. I am just back from uh 5 days in New York City. Fantastic visit there. Uh as you probably know, I was in Hawaii again. Uh uh I've been jumping around pig farm or <laughs> pig farming, pig uh hunting. Uh, I was pig hunting in Hawaii with Simon Rex and um Kyle Tierman and Kyle's brother, uh, Toby, and my buddy, Justin DeRider, all of whom have been on this podcast, actually. It was pretty interesting looking around going, damn, everybody's been on the podcast. Um, Justin is episode 99. Um, excellent dude. It was really cool for everyone to be together. It was first time Justin had met most of those guys, so that was great. Uh, it was an interesting experience. I, I did shoot a pig with a bow. Um in fact I was the first among our party to to successfully shoot a pig um and yeah I don't know I'm still working out the feeling I'm still working out uh, how I felt about that um it was a clean shot killed the the pig died quickly so there wasn't uh, a lot of suffering involved um, there are lots of pigs on the big island. they're all over the place and um yeah, I don't know it, it was it was i' I'll get back to you on that. I'm not sure how I felt about it. I was a little creeped out, I have to admit um when we got back and were gutting them and all that i I wasn't real into that um, and uh it was very interesting we were sort of going around as a group with the guide and then you know as he saw that like, we pretty much knew what we were doing uh he was more comfortable with us spreading out and as long as we didn't shoot each other we knew where each other were i really enjoyed being on my own um and i decided after i shot the first one it was uh it was young um that I wouldn't shoot again unless I saw a really big one, and even then I wasn't sure whether I would or not. I wanted to just leave it for the moment. And there was a, there was a point where I was, I think, the second day where I was, uh, I heard them coming up this, um, this gully sort of, and I was at the top of the gully, and I pulled my bow back, and I I saw across the gully there was a trail, and I figured they'd come up that trail and it was about maybe 15 yards from me, <clears throat> and lo and behold, they did, one after the other, walked right up the trail, had no idea I was there, I could have, I mean, I literally held the life of each of them in my fingertips, you know, I could have let that arrow fly, and would have been over, um, but they were small ones, and I let them go, and I was waiting for a big one to come up behind, and maybe shoot that maybe not I didn't know I was just waiting for that momentary feeling that was an interesting thing there was no big one by the way just four little ones went by and I just let them go um, you know I think I may have mentioned in an earlier episode my thinking was I eat meat so I should confront where it comes from but after shooting that pig It became, you know, I started thinking like, well, or maybe it was before that, maybe it was in the earlier hunt where I I had a chance to shoot a pig with a rifle and didn't bother. Um, I just felt like that's not really where my meat comes from. You know, I I could go full Joe Rogan and just insist that all meat comes from animals that I kill and make it a big part of my life. Um, But as it stands now, um, my meat comes from mostly commercially farmed animals, I guess. And, uh, you know, I try to eat free range, grass fed, etc. I pay the premium for that at Whole Foods or Sprouts or wherever, um, you know, but Who knows? With chickens, they say free range. And it turns out that means there's a window in the, you know, in the industrial building. People are playing a lot of games with things like that. Ideally, I'd like to live in a place where I could buy, you know, a cow or share a cow with some other people that's raised on a farm locally by people I know and sort of uh, participate in a very localized way. <clears throat> with sustainably raised animals. But at the moment that's not the way my life is. And so I don't know, I started feeling like this whole hunting thing is kind of a white privilege fantasy uh justification for eating meat, you know, you go hunt and you shoot an animal and you act like, "Oh, yeah, I know, you know, I've I've confronted the reality." Whereas the reality is probably more of a slaughterhouse situation um which I haven't confronted at least as far as pigs go, in Alaska, the first year I was up there, and I worked in the salmon cannery that was more of a slaughterhouse kind of situation that was um you know watching fish being transformed from creatures to canned commodities um so I've seen that that was uh pretty intense anyway um I'm sure I'll have more to say about hunting and uh future rants that's probably enough for now uh New York was fascinating as I said it was a really good trip I love New York um and it's always very nostalgic for me to go there because I lived there for a few years in my 20s so there's um there's always that sort of special element to being in the city. Uh, I met with my editor and the publicity team that are going to be working on Civilized to Death. That was really interesting and and great. They're great folks. I feel real enthusiastic about that. Um, I even talked to them about changing the cover. If you've seen... The book listed on Amazon. You've seen the cover that they propose for it, which I don't really love. And um, I showed them pictures of some of you wearing your civilized to death T-shirts, and I was like, "Look, people love this shirt. People are buying the shirt. They're wearing it. They send me pictures. One guy even got the image tattooed on his leg. I mean, let's go. People dig this. And you know, if you want me to try to get a viral." campaign going uh we need to give the people what they want so anyway they're reconsidering they've got their artistic people looking at uh the sad chimp with the uh the coke and the big mac and the iphone and seeing if they can incorporate something like that onto the cover so i'll keep you posted on that uh okay that's probably enough for me pushing half an hour of me yammering here so all right, that's enough for me. I'm going to play you out with a song. Uh, I love when this happens. A guy sends me an email saying, hey, I think you'd really love my friend's music. And, and I listen, and I do love his music. And then I write back and say, yeah, but is it cool if you're f- with your friend if I play the music? And so that's the situation here. Uh, a guy named Boris uh, with a Russian last name. I'm not going to Sapoznikov. Maybe he wrote to me and said, uh, hey, I think you might like this song by my buddy Chris Fresina. And fuck yeah. It's a beautiful song. It's called Fences. Anyway, uh, we confirmed it with Chris. Chris is cool that uh, I play it. And I guess it was his birthday recently. So maybe he'll get a bump. You can download this song and others at uh, chrisfresina.bandcamp.com. That's Chris, C-H-R-I-S, and Frisina is F-R-I-S-I-N-A, Chris Frisina. And this song, again, is called Fences. Make sure you listen to the lyrics, because they're smart.
0: Stumbling on stones When I came across your bones And my reflection in the creek You know you gave me quite a scare How long have you been there? You're regular and deep If you don't mind, I'd like to know Do you rest up higher down below? When the stream overflows, where will you go? Where will you go? And I was plucking on my strings when I heard the royal kings. They were all fighting about the land. What's yours was yours, but now is mine. Man, can't you see the sign? Take your flag from out my sand. Pardon me your royalty I'm just a blind man and you can't see But this is just my favorite tree So let me be Please let me be Cause I said life Is not a problem to be solved It is a gift to be enjoyed But all the curses I avoid They wander back and the more fences I put up, I feel trapped. You know, I give and I give and I give. You know, I give and I give and I give and I get nothing back. And we were both eating mighty fine at a restaurant so divine that my taste buds couldn't bear it. Brought me out some fancy wine There was flavored water, it was lemon lime With some shiny silverware In my mind, a dining dish Leave the cooks all the tips I must have lied when I told you I was rich I could only wish You were clutching to my hand through the restaurant As we ran for shelter from the swarm With my unfolding master plan You know I felt just like Peter Pan You got the tights, I got the
4: sword
0: And I don't mind if you recite Shakespeare all damn night When we argue about who is wrong or right You're usually right Cause I said life It's not a problem to be solved It's a gift to be enjoyed But all the curses I avoid They wander back And the more fences I put up I feel trapped You know I give and I give And I give I give and I give and I give. No, I give and I give and I give and I get nothing back.
3: Uh, I'm here with Chris Payne, right? Chris Payne? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Uh, in my living room in Topanga, and we've been talking for quite a while, so we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. I might ask you to repeat some stories.
5: Yeah, because I only have a few anecdotes total.
3: <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> we haven't exhausted your supply, I hope. So you, would you describe yourself as a, a filmmaker or an activist or what? what a troublemaker? Hey, those sound like good words. Rapper-rouser? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Because most of your, your films have been... Uh, involved with uh, environmental issues, uh, I guess the film people know you best for is Who Killed the Electric Car, is that right? Who Killed the Electric Car
5: yeah, got the most traction in the zeitgeist at Yeah, the time. and
3: when did that come out?
5: That was um, 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is that right? Yeah, 2006. Yeah, right. But you know, it was like a three-year project, so we started. In, well, it really started when I got an electric car in 1998.
3: Um, Ninety-eight. So, what car was that? It
5: was the General Motors EV
3: One. Huh. And was uh, that full production, or was that like a limited edition? It was there? a
5: full-on, um, uh, full-on electric car, 100% electric car that the uh, General Motors engineers had made uh, under the uh, really under the supervision of Paul McCready. And mm, you remember was, when, when I was a no. kid, there was uh, Dr. McCready came out of Caltech and a bunch of other places, and he built a bicycle powered airplane and flew it over the English Channel. Oh, okay. And it wow. was just amazing. And what his insight was was doing more with less. And it was very much a 1970s idea that, with, and in this case, lightweight, what was in composite materials, you could make an airplane on a bicycle light enough that you could power it and uh dr mccrady was very much into solar energy and stuff so when i was a kid i mean dr mccrady and the apollo mission were the big things right and so when i heard that uh paul had built an electric car you know all the cars on the moon were electric remember all right it's just it's one of the Wally Repell's joke was like, if you look at all the planets in the solar system, and you, what kinds of vehicles? More planets actually have electric cars than anything else, because we have them on Mars. <laughs> on Mars and yeah. and there was one on Venus briefly that the Russians had, and uh-huh. um, I don't know if that was actually powered. I think they just got to the surface.
3: Uh-huh.
5: But um, so General Motors wanted to raise win this race down in Australia, and um, they thought, okay, well maybe we can do it with with Paul's car. And they got so excited about winning the race that they announced that they're going to do an electric car. And then California said, that's great because we're having a real problem with air pollution in the big cities and Sacramento and Los Angeles. This would be awesome if you guys make it. And we'll make all the other car companies make them as well. And so that was kind of the first generation in the modern era of electric cars. And uh, the big thing that pushed it forward was AC power. Because you look at the old ones from 1910 and all those were sort of golf carts. They're all DC powered. They're, they're, they're very torquey, but they're also um, difficult to control. You can't have really smooth, buttery mm. acceleration. And mm. you can't regen, like capture your power back. Right. So this car did all those things. And I got one, and I just fell in love with the car. And when they uh, they took the car away... I thought, I think I'm going to have to make a film about this. So
3: So why did they take the car away? They took the car
5: away because, uh, well, that's the premise of who killed the car. A lot of forces at work, basically, in the early 2000s that were suddenly reversed, The this is going to be great. The other car companies weren't very happy about having to make these cars. Uh, Everybody was fighting California Air Resources Board, and, you know, CARB, in California is one of the great governmental institutions for the environmental movement and I think of our time. They took lead out of gasoline, which was killing everybody. And that
3: that was California that started. That was that? California. Yeah. Uh,
5: Mary Nichols was part of that team and ironically Mary is still part of CARB today. In fact, I think
3: she she runs CARB. So uh, CARB is what California Air, Air Resources, Resources Board. Board, okay.
5: Yeah, and the, the real problem was was just school kids getting sick who live near freeways. They were breathing lead. Right. Thank you very much. What could that do to you? Um, There's
3: even, I've read um, theories that the lead caused teen, um, because of the brain damage, that it it caused a crime spike. And that the reduction in crime in the U.S. followed perfectly with the the elimination of lead from paint and from uh, gasoline. Wow. Yeah, there's some uh, serious scientific research into that.
5: I, I think that what, that was one of the problems that the Romans had.
3: Right, they had the lead in the pipes. That, the pipes. Yeah, led to the pipes, and all the, the, oh, the Romans yeah. went
5: insane at the end of the empire. And yeah. part of it was they think that there's so much lead in their system. Yeah. Um,
3: anyway, back to the so the you were talking about who oh, well, the yeah, forces so. <laughs> against the, the electric innovation.
5: Yeah, well, the oil companies weren't happy about sure, it, yeah. and, uh, and they didn't really see them as a like electric cars as a threat. But they, damn sure didn't want. Uh, carb to get any more powerful and they didn't want any government built charging stations. So they went after charging stations and Mm. they began to have these really weird advertising campaigns to try to throw this whole thing off like uh, and a bunch of them are in the film. And I think at General Motors there was... um, a growing recognition that you know, they they made their money on trucks and that usually when they do things like electric cars or green vehicles They're part of their spring marketing campaign and they never actually have to make them and Because they said that they could make them now they had to make them and they weren't make they couldn't make them profitably so they uh, Maybe on the advice of their lawyers or someone they decided uh, they're gonna just like uh, get California to reverse their decision And in GM's case, uh, and some of the other car makers, uh, when leases expired on these cars, they take them back and destroy them. Mm. And this is a big hook for our film because when we were owners, we loved our cars. We couldn't believe that the cars were getting taken back. And we we didn't love them just because they were environmental big hope of the 21st century. But they were just so much fun to drive. Mm. And it didn't matter what Porsche came up to you at the intersection, you step on the accelerator, and they were like, "What was that? You know, <laughs> yeah, what just happened yeah. to me?" So you just got torqued by uh, right. you know. Yeah. So the ego of those cars is a lot of fun too.
3: What kind of range did they have? Not good. <laughs> Not good. Especially if you were torquing Porsches at red lights. Yeah. yeah. Well, the,
5: the original lead acid batteries. There you go. Um, were sixty mile range. Yeah. And then uh, a guy uh, up in Michigan, great inventor, Stan Oshinsky, and his wife, arguably, because she was a part of their their team, they came up with nickel metal hydride batteries, and suddenly the cars could go 130 miles. And we were on track for a whole generation, and GM was way ahead of everybody on this technology. But... um, Instead of doing that, they did things like buy Hummer from, you know, because they (laughs) thought, okay, well, there's a big margin. Let's just keep building those cars.
3: And gas prices went down. Gas prices were down. Yeah.
5: Although, ironically, when our film came out, gas prices were, like, heading up. Oh, really? And their timing was absolutely wrong for what their decision they did. And to destroy the cars, I think, because they uh, didn't want— Carb to force them to put them back on the road, or to have to have mm. spare parts for these things. So it made for a really good film, and we called the film "Who Killed the Electric Car" because we loved "Who Framed Roger Rabbit." Ah, okay. And in that film, of course, the evil corporation shut down the streetcars. Yeah. And streetcars is like, as everyone knows, in most cities in America, was a big crime of the '40s and '50s. The tire companies came in; they did not want. Street cars, if people would buy cars, gas cars.
3: Is it true that there was um, like a nascent uh, mass transit system in LA that was purchased and destroyed by a corporate conglomerate? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I've heard that story, but I didn't know if it was factual.
5: Yeah, that's I mean the one-liner is yeah the oil companies the tire companies They bought these things up destroyed them and the truth of course is more complicated after World War two people liked having cars and it was really the status symbol the freeways were just being built and the, The trolley seemed like why would I want to do that? It's not cool. So the trolley companies were losing money and the bus companies and the tire companies came in and went, well, let's take advantage of this. Mm. And they, so a little bit on both sides. Kick them when they're down. Yeah. Yeah. And and to be fair, you know, in, in the 2003, I guess, when CARB made their decision to not push these electric cars anymore, uh, there was medium interest from people. And we argued, as EV owners, that there was very little interest, or medium interest, as they would say, because nobody knew about them. And they didn't advertise them, and if they took them back and destroyed them, no one would ever know about them. So, anyway, that project, kind of like your book, Chris, you know, you you do a project like this, and you hope that a few people read it, and we just, our timing was just right for that Mm. film. Um, it was the same year that Inconvenient Truth came out and we were the trailer before Inconvenient Truth
3: oh, wow. And they had a
5: huge marketing budget for that movie and right. so we sort of like hitched onto the right. back of that and um, we went for a really fun ride
3: yeah so are, and what what are your other films you, you did something with uh, Elon Musk is that We just did a film that uh, Elon's
5: uh, we actually have two films that Elon, Actually, even the electric car film, at the very end of it, we had a Tesla. Wow. But Elon was just getting involved with Tesla at that right. time. And that was, we didn't even know what Tesla was barely. We just mm-hmm. thought, well, we should have a happy moment at the end of right. our film that maybe there's some hope in the right. future one day. <laughs> and we got so many kids, like letters from school kids the electric cars. And dad, haven't you heard about Tesla? And mm-hmm. what about little cars? And. Um, And then uh, Bob Lutz at uh, General Motors after they went bankrupt because they put all their chips on trucks. And uh, Bob Lutz was at GM and said, we're going to do an electric hybrid. And we thought, well, maybe we should do one more film about the electric car. And so we ended up following Elon around for three years and Bob Lutz at General Motors going through bankruptcy and Carlos Ghosn at Nissan. Mm. Of course, who's now in jail. Like oh, right. Every, everybody's recently. got a yeah. story, right? Yeah. Um, so we called that Revenge of the Electric Car. Yeah. And we tried not to make it about why electric cars are better and just make it about the personality of leadership. Right. And um, our friend Gadget, who's a Burning Man art car builder, he was our fourth character to say you don't need to own a car company to make a difference. Um, so that's really how. I got to know Elon, at least on that level, and he ended up being interviewed by it. We interviewed him three or four times for our film we just finished on artificial intelligence.
3: Mm. It's
5: called uh, Don't, uh, what's it called? I know the title of my film. It's Do You Trust (laughs) This Computer?
3: Your phone phone will know. (laughs) Do you trust this computer? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Siri, should I trust this computer?
5: Yeah, do we trust this computer? No, yeah. not so much. We don't trust our computers so much. What could they possibly be doing without our permission?
3: Right. Yeah, Elon's uh, a big, um, uh, I don't want to say fanatic or enemy. He's, he's very suspicious of auto, uh, AI, right? Artificial yeah. intelligence.
5: He's really nervous about it. He likes yeah. to say that it's the... It's not like he thinks it's going to definitely turn into Terminator and you're going to be supercomputers killing humans everywhere, but he thinks that most people in the industry underestimate the risk. And he goes, When risk underestimation is one of the things that humans do most often. They just don't see like even look what happened on gasoline and, and the environment. And we're not very good at looking at risk sometimes. In fact, I saw mm. a book on risk right here on your Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, it's not, it's called risk. It's uh that's actually from a it's a collection of stories told on a podcast called Risk.
5: Yeah. It's uh, not the board game that we can't have. A, no, we can't no. play later because I like that game.
3: No, yeah, yeah the the whole thing with uh, underestimating risk, I think about that a lot too. And you know, I think the survivor bias is underappreciated. Uh-huh. You know, I. I especially in my area where I'm writing about prehistory and thinking about... What does that mean, survivor bias? The, you know, we, we hear things like, well, we found a way through. You know, we always, we survived that. You know, the the ice age happened and we survived that. Or, uh-huh. you know, we survived this, we survived. Well, yeah, you and I did. The people who <laughs> didn't aren't here to voice their opinion, you know? Yeah. So there's there's this sort of like, um, sort of inherent optimism baked right. into the fact that those of us who are having these discussions are alive but that doesn't mean that there aren't many more you know proportionally who aren't alive who who didn't survive it so there's just this weird sort of um i don't know baked in optimism and and it's strange how uh you'll you'll hear people say things like you know talking about environmentalism like well you know i'm an optimist so i have to believe that blah 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 and they say that as if that's a rational thing to say whereas it's not at all it's like saying well i'm a christian so i have to believe in jesus well that's not an argument that's just stating your bias you know your your statement of faith a statement of faith exactly Yeah. yeah And uh, so the so fact- when you
5: hear that, you go, uh, yeah, I hope you're right that uh, climate change is all made up and not happening. I really hope that your faith is right. But unfortunately, it's
3: just it doesn't a, comport just to a, any of the facts, it doesn't compute
5: to anything that yeah. we know. And, you know, one of, one of our big human journeys has been to collect information and try to make better decisions. Right. And uh, sure, faith is important. But
3: yeah. Well, I I mean, it's important, but it's not. Relevant to a discussion of carbon emissions, you know, it or climactic change, like God isn't going to save us. If you believe He is, fine, but then w- there's no need to have this conversation.
5: Wow, so Wendy, it's so tempting for me to discuss. Nice try. <laughs> I I have a, a a series that I really want to do uh-huh. on this whole idea about about uh, you know like. If the um, how do you want to live your life if you really think that things aren't going to work out?
3: Yeah, that's an important, very and, important question. It's a
5: really important question for you. Yeah. And I, I really believe that it, you've, that, um, you know, the, the smarter you are, quote, smart, unquote, a certain kind of intelligence, but let's say it's a mathematical intelligence, and you do the math on carbon and coming out of Siberia and, and and overpopulation issues and all, all the, you add up the environmental risks that we're facing, right. and the math is not good. Right. The math's not good. We don't know what the timetable is. Chaos theory means we can't know what's gonna be like in three weeks, but it, math's not very good. Um, but do I wanna live in my head? So I can I to live in my heart. You know, it's, it's Something that uh, Gorbachev often talked about in mm-hmm. his, um, we're dealing with um, water and loose nukes and some of the big risks. Yeah, And I, it's been really helpful for me to have this because I, I really, I'm sort of a pessimist about, I, I think the math is not good for us. I think a lot of people are realizing the math is not good. It's not because we're necessarily bad. It's just we're short timers and we right. make bad decisions in big groups. Right. And I probably, uh, we can do our best in trying to get the ship to change, but we're probably not going to get the ship to change. But I want to live my life as someone just trying to change the ship anyway, that's the choice. I don't care if we don't change the ship, I'd rather live in this space. So am I sounding too like emphatic and
3: soapboxy? No, not at all, not at all. And this is something that I think about a lot and talk about a lot. In fact, I was speaking with a friend of mine recently um, about the whole sort of the the culture of outrage and social justice warriors and that whole thing. I'm starting to feel like maybe that is fueled in a large part by this um, sort of overwhelming sense of helplessness that people feel. Uh um, Like an existential dread Mm -hmm. that young people are growing up with. And they may not even articulate it. It's Mm -hmm. just in the air. And so it's like the guy who's got the shitty job and the asshole boss, but he can't change anything Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. He's trapped. So he comes home and abuses his wife and kids and kicks the dog, right? There's like this I can't do anything about the big real problem, so I'm gonna obsess about all this little bullshit um just to purge that sense of helplessness that I yeah. have. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I, I think it's whether people deal with it explicitly or not, I think it permeates yeah life. Permeates. Uh, yeah. these days. Well, I mean, we're yeah. all
5: mortal, right? So we can't get around that one. Although a lot yeah. of the people in AI, I think at the very tops of AI are trying to get around it, which I think is unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's that's makes them take a lot of shortcuts and don't think through some of the other problems. Yeah. It'd be great if immortality works out, maybe. Or maybe not if we've read any science fiction. Right. Immortals, if you look at the Greeks, tend to have a lot of problems. <laughs> by the time you finish The Greek Myths, you're like, I'm glad I'm a human being with a yeah. f- finite number of years. But anyway.
3: Um, yeah. Did you, Who's his name? Kurzweil? Did you interview him? He's the big immortality am I getting his name I think oh, it's Ray. Kurt, uh, uh, yeah we ran we interviewed uh, Ray Kurzweil Ray Kurzweil, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah, he's brilliant, yeah,
5: what a life that guy has yeah uh,
3: and and talk about an optimist yeah, and the classes to my mind, i mean he's you know he's probably got fifty i q points on me, but he seems totally those guys seem driven by fear by an existential dread, which to my thinking, leads them to make irrational claims. I don't see, you know.
5: You know, he, Ray is so inspirational to so many people. You yeah. know, I, I, I don't, I'm not aligned with all of Ray's thinking for sure, but I know a lot of people that just get so much energy from Ray's feeling. Right. As an inventor and as a believer that you can extend your life, and these things yeah. are very exciting for them. I'm um, getting just, into
3: faith again, though. Right, That's faith true. versus. So, is it better to live a life believing that God exists and is watching over you, even if there's no evidence for it? Is it better to live your life believing you can save the sinking ship, even if the evidence suggests otherwise? And these are valid issues. I'm not dismissing them. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to think to look at them from the perspective of uh, rationality versus yeah. how it make you feel? And yeah. there is a rational argument that you should feel as good as possible while you're here.
5: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I guess. Whatever floats your boat, as they say. As, they, as long as you're not, like, sinking everybody else's. Yeah. I mean, there you go. Yeah. That's maybe the other side. I think, I, I can't speak for Ray, and he'd be a a really good guy for your show sometime. But I, I do know that a lot of these, these immortality guys are, they want to upload their consciousness. Like, you yeah. know, in a, what's the movie they, they had. Uh, I. I don't have very much faith in that's working out very well.
3: Um, yeah. Yeah.
5: I, but, yeah. Sorry, oh, go yes, ahead. go ahead.
3: No, please.
5: Well, we the reason we made um, Do You Trust This Computer? Yeah. Is Steve, because Stephen Hawking began talking about mm. one of the big risks. And we know climate change is like the biggest one on us right now. But he really, the AI is way up there. So why would Stephen Hawking say that? And so we wanted to make a film about what are smart guys afraid of? Smart women, smart... What are the, the big brains of our time? What are they actually afraid of? And so the joke was, well, science fiction's envision a lot of this. And you have, you know, us being used for energy in the Matrix or a supercomputer, like, at war with the human race and Jim's movies. Um, but I bet you Stephen Hawking wasn't thinking about that when, you know, he said those things. So we wanted to dive into that and look at that. So... We thought the movie would take a couple of years to make, and it ended up taking three years. And we tried to blend um, science fiction w- with what the smartest minds of our time are thinking and try to look at them. And it was quite an awakening for me about, um, the problem of big data mm. and algorithms that mm. are using machine intelligence to like work things out. Sure we can like maybe and not maybe sure we can definitely detect cancer earlier. radiology is moving forward we could tailor things for us, but the, there's a significant risk a dark side to it. Um, for Elon, that is his big fear is super intelligence. Um, I can't quite wrap my head around that. But for a lot of these guys, like a intelligence that's smarter than human beings is a big risk because the track record for intelligent things taking good care of things that are less intelligent than them on planet Earth is not good. Mm. You know, what do we do with chimps and you know we mm-hmm. and intelligence often is used to dominate. And so if we if you're creating something that's More intelligent, there's a real risk that things could go wrong for things that don't control it.
3: Especially if that intelligence is based on a human model of intelligence, (laughs) right? So then it's sort of intrinsically going to replicate that domination approach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
5: But although... With these algorithms, they are they they're making insights that we haven't been able to make because they can look at so much data all at the same time. And it's sure it's very narrow now. It's not like a comprehensive thinking like humans, but um, there it, it is a different kind of intelligence.
3: What about the the idea that human beings are um, a larval stage of life? And that this hyper intelligence and the sort of merging of of human intelligence with technology is the evolutionary track that we're on. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? That's a great, I mean, also scary. You know, if we're all. Yeah, we'll be useless. And doesn't it make sense then that the environment is not an issue? That the environment isn't being cared for because biological life Is passing from... Carbon-based, I
5: mean, uh, a silicon-based life. You know, it's funny, carbon and silicon are very close on the periodic table. Mm. And they're both quite ample. Uh, Carbon's really good at getting things going for life. Silicon seems to be much more robust in the long term. Mm. And um, uh, one of the, I think, uh, Elon's comments, is not in the movie, but he said something like, uh, he tweeted sometime, uh, what if we're the... uh, Human beings are the uh, biological boot block for digital superintelligence. Same kind of idea. Like, we're like, here, we're the parents of the next intelligence. And that intelligence isn't going to need water and air and stuff like that.
3: Therefore, it's devalued. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And even the folks at SETI, the the Search for Intelligent Life, you know, Seth Shostak there, he's a brilliant guy. He goes, you know, we're moving some of our telescopes away from carbon based planets or where we think there'd be life and looking at places that machines might aggregate because it's likely that they'd be around for a lot longer than us fighting Contemptuous carbon-based life
3: forms, right? Eating shitting fighting. Yeah, like all the stuff we do that's so inconvenient (laughs) So inconvenient (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean I've got a I've been thinking a lot about this kind of thing um I was writing this book, civilized to death. And I I was, I don't want to bore my listeners. They've heard me talk about this so many times, but I I got to this, I was looking at at the winners in our society, right? Like you were talking about the Silicon (laughs) Valley guys and, you know, these people who've made just more money than they can ever spend. And, you know, and they're miserable by and large. Uh And so that led me to think like, wait a minute, if the winners of the game are unhappy then who what's this for yeah right who's the who's winning we're all losing, yeah. and then i I sort of I'm, I'm boiling it down a lot, but I got to this idea of uh organism that human institutions are superorganisms mm-hmm. and that we're embedded within them the way the Answer. microbiome yeah, yeah ants in an anthill or a colony or yeah bees yeah and uh and so then that sort of led me to this idea of. You want to pause? No, no, no. no. Oh, I just- of um, uh, this idea that what we're talking about—that the agenda of the superorganism can be opposed uh, to the agenda of the individuals within uh, it. Right, right, right. And so Exxon doesn't care how the president or the board of directors or any yeah. employees feel about what happens, because if they disagree. They'll be expelled from the institution and other people take their place that are aligned with the values of the institution. Of the
5: corporation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so dangerous to be, that give them the same, corporations the same rights as humans. Right, exactly. Yeah, I love but that movie. it's too late,
3: you know, they got it. With
5: the... Well, it looks like, the Supreme Court wants to give them a new, a new right. Another one that they got religious rights already, right? Well, that's the one that they're vote, They're going through the Supreme Court. They got a partial decision uh, oh, on that. Okay. and right. hopefully they close. The immortality is really the worst one. Yeah. That they and you know I was reading somewhere that the first corporations were for ships, and like you know, like I'm going to finance this and it's going to come back and so forth. But the, I think they were limited in yeah. terms of how long they could be around.
3: Right. Um, and did you see We were going to mention The film The corporation Yeah, yeah. I, I love that film Fantastic I mean, Yeah it's Such a smart film And the idea that, that the the legal Structure For the corporation To exist Came out of The, the Civil proclama, war. The civil Yeah exactly yeah. Making slaves No longer property Like giving them Personhood So taking uh, And
5: corporations th- At the same time At the
3: same time Because yeah, yeah Something that had been Property now Became a Had personal rights so i don't remember yeah. the details but somehow yeah. corporations came out of that transaction it's amazing yeah
5: the movie presents it really well I, I talked to a lawyer friend about it he goes yeah the history of corporations is actually quite complex but what happened in the civil war was definitely incremental change in giving them more power than it's great for because they don't represent our values and they get stuck on this quarterly profit system and then they make really bad decisions and they have no liability And yeah,
3: I mean, it it can cease to exist, right? The assets can be transferred, and a new corporation formed. It's incredible. That's why I'm an
5: artist. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's That's like it's fun to be a. But of course, you know. I, I guess I have an LLC, and every time we do a, a, a company, I mean a movie, yeah. we make an LLC out of that. Sure, we don't get sued by somebody, and right? So there are good things about it: circuit breakers to, but whatever.
3: Yeah, yeah. How
5: do we get on that? I that's, don't know. That's, that's, that's good...
3: depressing as hell. Well, but the idea of why the environment is being destroyed because yeah, it's not yeah. important to the next life form.
5: Well yeah i I think that the just just you know an experiment you know like everything on earth, like Bill Bryson's saying you know we're just one more experiment on earth and mm. I uh, we we have enough ego and sentience to think that we're should be like the one that moves into Star trek and inhabits other planets, but we're probably just another great experiment
3: you guys probably talked about the Fermi paradox
5: in For, the movie. sure, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. So I I have another theory for that, for the the Fermi paradox for people who who aren't familiar. Enrico Fermi was having lunch with some friends at Caltech, I think, and uh, they were talking about why there had there was no evidence of extraterrestrial life yeah. and he sort of jotted down on the back of an envelope or something like okay there are this many stars and this many planets around those stars and this many of them are within a range of the stars so that their life would be possible and blah blah uh-huh. blah and therefore there are 700 trillion possible sources of life and it's absolutely mathematically impossible that none of them have been here by now right if you assume we're like halfway uh you know in in the spectrum of development anyway the point is like there's no way that we're the only one it doesn't make sense and so uh the the sort of most common explanation is i think it's called the great filter is when life forms reach a point of intelligence where they're
5: this is Carl Sagan's thing. Their like
3: we, we power to destroy themselves exceeds. To yeah. Commit
5: suicide.
3: Right. They do. So yeah. there's always something. They poison themselves, or they blow themselves up, or yeah. they. You know, Lead pipes. <laughs> Accidentally used up all the oxygen. Uh, you know, Monsanto glyphosate changed
5: our DNA. It doesn't work on Earth anymore. Yeah, there you little go. Problems.
3: Yeah, a little. Dang, a that, little, was, that was where we went wrong. A little bug that got out of a lab somewhere. Something always happens and wipes them out. So that's why they don't show up. right? Yeah. my my hope, and here I'm coming. This may be faith based, but I've got this feeling. That we're on this historical trajectory, like Joseph Campbell's, uh, you know, Hero of a Thousand Power Faces, of this, yeah, right. So we're, you know, we're like uh, in the Odyssey. You know, he reaches the end, the far point of his journey, and then he starts coming back home. I feel like we're at this moment in history where we're starting to turn back home. We're like on this elliptical trajectory, uh-huh. and and. Now, maybe it's just me, you know, my bias. I'm writing about prehistory and all that. But it feels like the cutting edge research in so many different fields is about going back. Uh It's not about, you know, new plastics. It's about eliminating plastics and making things out of natural products, bamboo, Uh palm leaves, whatever. It's not about going further. It's about going back with what we have. Returning. Returning. Uh So you look at. Michael Pollan's book that we were talking about earlier. You look at psychedelic therapy, right? Mm-hmm. That's shamanic. That's from the beginnings of our species. You look at um, the paleo diet, paleo CrossFit, and you know doing exercises yeah. that replicate the movements of our ancestors. You look at the success of Sex at Dawn. I think a lot of that is people feeling like the way I was taught isn't working. Like, how did we evolve, right? That's did I mention earlier that that's like... One of my
5: very, very favorite books. I did, when I saw you, when I came in, I didn't say it on your podcast, so I wanted
3: to oh, say it you. here. So <laughs> yeah, I it was really,
5: I, this is really thrilling for me to to meet you, I, I felt like that that book, we don't have to sidebar on it too much. Oh, but
3: please, it, go on. <laughs>
5: well, it, it just, uh, that book and Bryson and some of Jared Diamond stuff, but really, um, I think, opened up the conversation about this topic and took it out of the culture wars mm. by taking it and you are like the old place the return place that you're right, just talking about right. let's where how where's our programming from maybe yeah. we're in the big puzzle all the answers are already here
3: that's it yeah. the, the answers are already here yeah, we, yeah. so it's very yeah. much like that the, the the eternal journey right you return home <laughs> yeah. and you know the place for the first time yeah. so that that's what i'm hoping is the great filter it's not that everybody's blown themselves up it's that they get to a point where they say wait a minute we there's nowhere we're going to go that's better than here that's because here true. is what created us so this is what we're best suited for yeah. so what we need to do is figure out how to live here peacefully harmoniously and control our population and so on you know which yeah. we can do we all have the technology for that now i mean imagine 50 million people on earth they'd be they'd be all kings and queens they'd be, it's yeah. you know well, it's, it's arguable that
5: with our even our current population we could do it. It's just the systems are so out of whack. Yeah. And the, and our the values in terms of what resources we're taking and how we're using them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean and and you know you roll back to uh, Elon Musk for a moment, you know, the people complain bitterly about why this Mars thing. Who really wants to live on Mars? Well, there's probably a few people that do. I I don't happen to be one of them, but I, I do think that if you look at the human history, uh, Elon's idea of a backup plan is a good one, and of course, it's pro- you know, who knows if it's going to succeed or not. But there's a good chance that things will go wrong here, and if you think that humans have something to offer, that maybe we should just have backup plans. So I, I think he's motivated
3: by this. But see, I question that premise. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah, the backup plan, like for what? For life? Well, if if human life. Totally destroys the planet on which it emerged. Why is it deserving of a backup Uh plan? What's the value of it? Right. If we're a
5: failed species, why does fail?
3: We're taking down every other species with us, you know, already, right? That's the great extinction, the fifth great extinction happening right now. I don't see, I think that's an unexamined premise that human life is necessarily a good thing.
5: Yeah, it's it's an important premise. I, I think it's difficult <laughs> yeah. to evaluate here. I, yeah. I I've come around on this Mars thing, thinking that you know, I mean, Earth to come up with our species and a lot of species is a, a, amazing. Yeah, and uh, we do have a survivor part of our gene that tries to like keep us moving to the future, even though we're carbon based. And let's make our best try at it. And uh, If in aggregate we make a lot of bad decisions, which seems to be what's happening for us why not have Some good decisions try to keep us move us forward and I I mean obviously it'd be the ultimate tragedy for us to destroy ourselves on earth and Have a little group of 30 people on Mars. That's not going to last very long
3: but um, I Don't even like Vegas much less Mars just Yeah I imagine you know, your
5: odds are probably slightly better in Vegas, too.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just mean in terms of environment, you know, yeah. like I imagine a Mars colony is just going to be, you know, it, the Vegas yeah. Strip or yeah. a, a, a shopping mall. Yeah. It, you know, it's going to be all corporate air conditioned <laughs> AstroTurf. Oh, uh, yeah. Now I'm enjoying I've got this van out here and every summer I, I drive around. Yep. Yeah, I'm trying to enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, well, you know, do we
5: I like aspirational personalities, so I think that's one reason we ended up uh, in our second electric car film, chasing people that are trying mm. to make differences. Right, and it doesn't always go well. Yeah, for for people, but I. To, even if you think the odds are stacked against you, even if everyone would tell you not to do it, like you, taking on academia and, you know, a, a certain kind of exact church of science to every, you know, with, without people willing to take those risks, you can't, sometimes you miss out on the biggest insights. That's mm. what Buckminster Fuller was all about. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the great teachers and insight people yeah, so, yeah, I try so, to
3: hold back. <laughs> well, as I mean, from your perspective, it makes sense not to have a strong opinion one way or the other, right? You're trying to elicit the information from people you're not
5: as a documentary filmmaker, yeah, yeah. yeah this is kind of a nice thing. You try not to go in there with like you know, our premise on the do you trust this computer was what are people afraid about? Yeah, and if you watch the film, um. Which you can, by the way. It's everywhere now. It's on Amazon oh, on and iTunes. Do people do plugs on podcasts? Please. So there please you go. plug away. Okay, well, there you go. You do you can, trust you this computer? You, and the electric car, is that on Netflix now? Electric car. The electric car movies are there. Uh-huh. We made one about electric motorcycle racing as well. Hmm. well and that must it, be fun. Yeah, on the, the Isle of Man. P-
3: Oh Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Wow. it's a
5: super dangerous, but you know the, yeah. the fun thing about racing is it's it's thrilling to a certain kind of person and, yeah. and It's a good way to tell stories um, but
4: um oh, Yeah, we, we yeah. try to, you try
5: to keep yeah. not have the answer to it and, right. and, and who killed the electric car? We don't say who killed the electric car, but we lay out all the pieces of uh, who are the suspects and why would they act like this? and in the uh, do you trust this computer? We're not telling people not to trust their computer. We're trying to talk about what are, what's untrustworthy about them and what, where do we need to be careful. Did you talk to Tristan Harris by any chance? No. The Google ethicist. Google canceled like multiple interviews with uh, us. Right. They, um, we did talk to Andrew Ng, who mm. really started the Google Brain project, mm. and was it's one of the leading people on deep learning and that technology. Uh, Stuart Russell was a big character for us. He wrote the book on AI that they use in colleges mm. now. His number one fear is uh, AI in the military. Mm. And the problem with technology is the first people that really finance technology is the right. good old military. And so th- to answer your point earlier, or to agree with it, is that those are the kinds of values you get out of it. You don't right. want the values of the military like running your technology, which right. just asking for problems. Yeah. Um, so Stuart was amazing for us, and uh, and then we got uh, Jonathan Nolan, is like kind of our narrator for the film, and he's uh, wrote um, the Westworld. Oh, that's so running on HBO. Wow. And he also did Interstellar. I love the
3: first season of that. Yeah, that was
5: a little fantastic. violent for me, but boy, the yeah, thinking is so good. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like what could go wrong on sci-fi and, yeah. and, and, and with AI and androids and. Um, But uh, So that film, uh, in terms of keeping it open, we thought we we reached the end of it, and then uh, we got the first clues that Cambridge Analytica was happening, and that Brexit and the Trump election, which were very, very close votes, were definitely impacted by manipulated Facebook advertising, not just the Russians, but you know, aggressive algorithms going mm. after the way, you know, even in in, in, uh, in some theories, even being able to target people based on the kind of personality they are. So if you're, you know, an extroverted, last minute, change your mind person, then this is the kind of ad that's going to make you move. Right. And that's where the AI can be super powerful. Yeah. I, I can keep track of millions of people and there are and three kinds of, you know, 14 personality types and then message for them. So, um,
3: it's really, it's incredible how, you know, about Edward Bernays. I'm sorry? Edward Bernays. Do oh, yeah. F- you know, the, the early advertising guy developed yeah. a, uh, focus groups, first focus groups. And he was from the 20s through the 70s. He was like at the head of advertising. And he also worked with the CIA overthrowing the government of Guatemala. He was involved in the, the Shah um of Iran supporting that, he came up with this phrase fight them over here so we don't have to fight them over, or fight uh, them over there so we don't have to fight them. So, all this marketing like proxy wars, yeah, uh-huh. all this marketing intelligence applied to foreign policy and, of course, to manipulating the you know, mass the mind. Yeah, yeah, you know who his uncle was, Sigmund Freud. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all comes back to psychology it all comes back, yeah, like controlling the mind And now, as you say, with these algorithms being applied The leverage is just incredible
5: The leverage, that's it, it's yeah. about leverage And, and uh, not even understanding how the tools are working exactly So that's where people are nervous about things Yeah What, what are you working on now?
3: Well, I just finished this book, Civilized to Death um, Sent that to the publisher a couple weeks ago Fantastic, what's it about? it's questioning the premise that civilization has been a benefit to the average human being. (laughs) (laughs) So it's leaving the answer open. (sighs) uh, Well, I think my perspective is pretty well articulated or at least clearly articulated. Um,
5: it's the agriculture. I mean, a little bit of this is insects at dawn. It's like,
3: yeah, it's agricultural that. Yeah.
5: Private property. This is my wife. This is my child. Right.
3: And then you get all these diseases like Jared Diamond points out in some of his books brilliantly that, you know, most of the diseases that have been most destructive to humans didn't exist until See? agriculture.
5: You and Gerard Diamond do go together. That's why those oh, books yeah. yeah. How
3: no, many times have I stolen I ideas
5: it. from his book and told them as party stories? like pretty often yeah yeah
3: good good for you man. <laughs> better you than me i can shut down a party in a second believe me I, i've told some stories at parties people
5: find this is super your sex dogs, super empowering because it, yeah, it's flipping the story yeah. i i think that you're absolutely right to hell with your critics you're that is the dominant narrative that mm. you're taking on about human sexuality, male, female roles, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you can flip that narrative, it suddenly gives people a lot of power. Like, oh.
3: Yeah. It's yeah. funny. One of the, the, I mean, the whole thing has been a huge su- surprise, right? It's yeah. like it's transformed my life and, and it's been amazing. But one of the things that was most surprising was getting emails from women saying, uh, thanks for your book. I had to stop and masturbate every few pages. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. Wow! I've never, I've gotten... never got emails like that. <laughs> I know. I've never received a single email from a guy like I had to jerk off. Like it's something really interesting about female sexuality and the um, the erotic appeal of of liberation uh-huh. and feeling like you're saying it. It I think for a lot of women. It um, it relieved them of a sense of shame, like wow, I'm horny. I th- I like sex as much as men do, or maybe more. It's not I'm not sick. Yeah, everyone's telling me I'm sick. The insight I
5: had was about pornography, which is a shameful mm. thing for men. Right. Like oh, uh, I like porn. Damn. Well, that can only be very you know. And the book, the, the we my takeaway. I guess I'm going to get corrected by the writer right here. Oh.
3: <laughs> But like, like that scene in uh, the Woody Allen Woody, Woody Allen's uh, like, Marshall McLuhan. McLuhan's right here. Says, <laughs> right.
5: You know nothing of my work. <laughs> exactly. Is that an Annie Hall? Annie Hall. Yeah. That's yeah. a great scene. And Marshall McLuhan's brilliant. I mean, there's a great documentary. Oh, I mean, he
3: yeah. Is, he's a really interesting he, guy. Really interesting. Yeah.
5: But uh, the, to finish that point that's going to get me in trouble, the... the the grief, I've never seen this on microphone, but the orgy you talk about, the in a
3: oh, gangbang
5: porn. Well, just any porn that yeah. that the male sexuality is designed to, like, if oh, the, the woman is receptive to male copulation right now, right. and in a pre agriculture makes sense for lots of males to be involved, so there's not one father when the male gets killed in a right. hunting accident, mm-hmm. and everybody's a father, but the it becomes an orgy for the copulation so it's never quite certain who the father is but it makes sense that men after they come lose interest right pull away so other men can get in there right and the same way that when the orgy is happening they're attracted to it right which is like pornography right it's like very much and the women don't need to see pornography i mean this is huge generalizations but to to get activated but men really respond to the visual of it and the sound of it and they get pulled in
3: so yeah and the visual of another man having an orgasm like why would that be appealing to us as heterosexual men right right. it doesn't make sense until you see it in that context in that context it really
5: helped me understand it it's not just some Weird aberration. It's like, well, this is where the old programming is, right? And I, I don't think uh, the dominant narrative does. It could even begin. It just it sort of goes back. To, dominant narrative is like, oh, it's original sin, and men are yeah. just constantly right. corrupted, and they're right. not to be trusted. And there's a lot of shame in it. Yeah. And it's like, my mother, like oh, well, that's where it's from. It doesn't mean I need to chase pornography. Although a lot of people are really attached to it in the internet age. Sure. Um, But what are the roots of it? Yeah, it's not it's not uh, Larry Flint, right? It's it's way older than that. Yeah,
3: Yeah. (laughs) it is. Yeah, and female copulatory vocalization, right? Why why do women make so much noise having sex more than men? It's because of what you said. It's attracting other men. It's Uh you know. There's even studies of primates. I don't know if I included this in Sex at Dawn or if this came out after, but I remember reading studies of uh, primates where the female uh, who's copulating, making her vocalizations? The other females can tell uh, what the hierarchical, like what the rank of the male is in the male hierarchy that she's copulating with by the sounds that she makes. Wow. So that's included in the information. So the other males hearing that could understand, like, ah, like that's a high ranking male, better stay away from that. Or it's a low-ranking male. The hell with it. I'm going in. He's not going to cause me any problems. This
5: is the first time I think I've been grateful for hearing loss over the years. <laughs> and I didn't have to do that uh, evaluation. And <laughs> You're not hearing your neighbors. <laughs> like, I've, I don't need to know where I fit in on the alpha scale. I'm sure yeah. I'm a sneaky
3: monkey. I think that's where yeah. I am. Yeah, for sure. Have you read Sapolsky, Robert Sapolsky's books at all? Which one's that called? Uh, Well, his most recent one is... uh, Oh, what's it called? Behave. I think no. he's at Stanford. You'd you'd enjoy his work. He's, okay, he's really interesting. I have a friend here that runs a,
5: a exotic animal rescue station. They're like animals that show up at the airport and
3: oh really huh. and
5: injured animals that come in and uh, you know hanging out with people that work with you know exotic animals. You really get to see what nature is about in terms of all of those things. Not yeah. just primates, but it's such a complicated. Yeah. yeah. but he has he has he has plenty of sneaky monkeys in uh in his yeah in their,
3: well, the, the, you reminded me of Sapolsky with the sneaky monkey thing because Sapolsky st- has studied this troop of baboons in Kenya for 25 years now, or something, yeah. since he was a grad student. Uh-huh. He goes back every summer, and um, he's very he studies um, anxiety and stress levels in the the Baboon baboons based back. upon their hierarchical things. So there's he's a neuroscientist at Stanford. He's fascinating. He's a great guy. Um, anyway, he uh, he, t- he was talking about breeding success and how the sort of standard understanding is the higher ranking males have much more breeding success than lower ranking males. But what he's found is that there's a level of male, what he calls the sort of Allen Alda males, where the macho males, the high ranking males are fighting and carrying on. Uh-huh. And he sneaks behind the bushes uh-huh. with the females and has sex that the higher-ranking males never even know happened. Yeah. So he actually, males at that level, have much more breeding success than the ones who are fighting their way to the top. Yeah. Uh, I
5: might have read something about, also like uh, gorillas with the big testicles or ones that are alphas, and they have to do, the sneaky ones have generally smaller testicles because they... They don't have to have sex all day. They only hmm. have their quick moments. It's like, I think actually Gerard Diamond in The Third Chimpanzee talks about this. Yeah, he talks it's,
3: about testicular volume. Yeah,
5: yeah, and why that would be in how yeah. chimps and anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about that in my TED Talk and that we mentioned we were talking about earlier. And I sort of got in trouble with TED because they didn't want me to have a picture of my friend testicles on yeah, the screen his of his head. that I, I mean he was wearing why
5: they would have that
3: he was wearing oh. a swimsuit but uh they, they still didn't like that what a double standard they brought a live
5: brain onto stage once <laughs> a
3: live uh, brain no,
5: i guess it wasn't alive. <laughs> that, they, they brought a brain on yeah, yeah. It wouldn't be alive would it, it came on stage <laughs> not for long <laughs> no. under
3: those lights you yeah. wonder what
5: happened just off stage <laughs> <laughs> well i think you yeah. know the my, you're saying about surprise on the reception of that book, and um, you know, I well, what's been the surprise for my work has been that electric cars are so back. Yeah, I mean, in terms of environmental fights, where things never get better every year, there's mm. less whales and the other. Stuff, it's incredible that electric cars, in such a short time, made a reversal. Is that because of the battery technology? Do you think is It's a whole bunch of things. And if we do one more film, which we're working on putting together, because you have to have three films, right? Films, trilogies, required. Yeah, um, It's probably going to be wide. (laughs) Obviously, because we're talking right now, we're hitting peak gas car for sure. They're converting, you know... um, gasoline car factories to electric a lot of you know the part, there's many many reasons going into it batteries being better the lithium battery pack has been huge for sure but also cultural acceptance uh education people figure it out coolness the cars are better
2: yeah
3: well that's what elon musk has been really smart Elon's at making versus- it cool Cool, you know, like you drive around here, LA, you Teslas everywhere, right? Yeah, and these and are the influencers, yeah, yeah, they're great cars. Yeah, yeah.
5: And he didn't make it about save the planet, it made it about this is a better car.
3: He got Rogan on that podcast we were talking about where yeah. Elon smoked the joint and caused all this hassle. Uh, I, I talked to Joe about uh, Teslas because I have a buddy who's got a couple, and yeah and we i had that experience accelerating so fast it's like you're in a diff, it's like you're in a spaceship or something it doesn't feel well, like well, possible
5: the first EV1 the GM had had that rocket acceleration yeah. you felt it and and we're driving a model 3 now and i'm wendy won't allow me when she's in the car to put it on um sport mode i have yeah. to keep it in chill <laughs> chill keep it chill man because otherwise she gets <laughs> nauseous i mean the, yeah. and i took a test ride in the new roadster at a demo about a year ago and i i don't think i'd want to accelerate in that car it's like two g's or something you yeah. sort of almost pass out
3: and it's also maybe unsafe because your brain can't process information that fast <laughs> i right? tell you that day they only had a professional driver let you yeah drive
5: that car and i was glad i wasn't driving because i was like i'm right. not ready for that if deal.
3: you're in the air fine but you're going down a road dogs running around birds flying yeah, yeah. But
5: major car companies saying they're not going to make internal combustion engine cars hmm. like in the last two years, it's been announcements like this. I guess in the last year. And you feel like this is happening. Right. And so it's, it's been... Um, yeah, I, I like to joke that I, I don't really like cars to begin with. I would have all made movies about bicycles and you know tree-hugging and things like this. And we got pulled into the world of cars. And if you're going to have cars, what's... But not just cars, everything. Bikes and scooters mm. and you know um, even airplanes now. Electric hybrid hybrid airplanes that they're developing.
3: So this is that bicycle right behind you is uh, electric uh, power assist. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like a Tesla bicycle. But were you
5: like me? I don't know. I won't speak for you, but I was against electric bikes to begin with because I thought, oh well, this is for lazy people that can't. Right. And everything has to be a battery, and why do we need to charge everything? And what about human power? Which of course is a valid argument, but there's so many people, and including me now, that really loves having this yeah. option
3: well you and i are the same age well
5: it's probably uh, about getting older too isn't it yeah well
3: but, but i mean like i i interviewed a, a guy here at my place who's um a professional mountain biker right? okay And he said, like, dude, you're in Topanga. This is mountain bike heaven. You got to get a bike. I said, look, dude, like for me to get to the place where I would ride is about, Uh you know, 500 meters up or something. I don't know what it is, but it's up. And I know myself. I'm not going to do that. I just won't do it. If I could go out my door and go along a fire road on a ridge and some up and some down, I would. But if it's just up, 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 I'll never get there. And so he hooked me up with this thing, and I take it, I ride, I yeah. go. And as you say, it's it's not like a, there's no throttle. You have to pedal. Uh-huh. So you work, just you know it's it's like a good parent like you do your homework and then i'll help you yeah Yeah. but if you don't do your homework then nothing happens and the
5: psychology for humans too is like you say this will cost you nothing you could just have the electric the whole time and then once you begin riding moving your body your body goes hey i want to do x i want exercise so it takes away that first like i don't feel like it moment and that if we can get around that and that goes for so many things
3: yeah Yeah. so what about um automatic pilot cars do you think is that happening as fast as the transition to electronic
5: well the technology is for sure the uh, regulation and the roads and all that stuff that's going to be a lot
3: slower Um, so do you think will will people be driving 10 years from now or we just get in a car and go
5: i mean i I think that driving cars should i mean be like i'm going to go i 'm going on an amazing vacation where you can drive your own car at this place and we can drive our own car but i I think it's it, we it's been proven or there's certainly a lot of stuff i've read it 's like it's way safer for humans not to be driving cars yeah. because there's too many other humans yeah. and animals and bicycles. Let the machines do this we can work on our apps, we can do our text messaging, we can let the cars the real challenge of it of course is about jobs and what are we going to do when there's no half million dollar truck half million person trucking jobs yeah. or i mean what and this is the th- bigger threat of machines in the short term is what are we going to do this Is it going to be universal basic income mm. um and uh, our film begins to bridge these topics but if we do a series which is i think where we're headed to we're going to try to do those topics because they're very Profound. Yeah. Like if we're not doing labor without without getting into like how do you get into Marxism and socialism and what kind of how do we want to live? Yeah. But m- machines can do a lot of things better than we can. Not everything. But
3: um, so. Yeah. Uh, it's the universal basic income combined with an incentive to not have kids. I think if we could if we could do that, you know, and just gradually you, you get a little more money every month if you don't have kids. Uh huh. And if you've got the universal basic income, then people aren't having kids to take care of them in old age. If you can sort of integrate all that together, it starts to feel like we might get a handle on things.
5: But kids, having kids is part of the fun of life.
3: Yeah, it can be. Yeah. Or it can be a, an incredible burden. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, some people love having kids. Some people don't. Yeah, That's know? true. I think That's it's true. a big taboo for people who've had kids who aren't enjoying it to admit that out loud. Yeah yeah you know and so i think it i don't know and a lot of people have kids well whatever i'm i'm not judging anyone i'm just saying a lot of people have kids um who wouldn't especially in the so-called third world where you know kids are your only retirement program um you know they have kids for financial reasons that if those reasons could be alleviated then they wouldn't and then we wouldn't have these massive refugee problems and yeah, the next hundred years are going to be tough. You know, I the Ganges stops flowing. Imagine that. Yeah.
5: Oof. Well, one of the good things is getting us onto renewable energy. Yeah. And electricity can do that, yeah. and that's been a that's a nice thing about the electric story is that, and even even uh, when well, we we made uh, the first electric car, are we out of time.
3: No, it's it's almost. Oh,
5: well, to. Um, it, there were environmental groups that were completely against electric cars because electric cars equal coal. So, what are you doing? You're just switching us from oil to coal? Right. That's not any better, right. which that if that were true, that would be a good point. But they've really found that even in situations where you have coal for electricity, which is terrible, you the electric drive is going to be better for you for more efficient, better for the end. Uh, in places like California and and really around the world, where renewable energy electricity is more and more available, it's much much cleaner. Yeah, even for a like us, mm-hmm. that don't want to push
3: our <laughs> hill up. Exactly. Oh. Listen, I know you've got to go uh, do your uh, to your meeting later. Uh, thank you for doing this, man. I, yeah, Chris, really it's such this.
5: a pleasure to get to meet you, and yeah. thank you for having me on your show. Next well. time, I'll I'll come with some anecdotes.
3: All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Chris Payne. You can find him online. I don't think he has his own website, um, but there's a lot of information about his work online, of course. Uh, And I just wanted to remind you one more time that this episode is brought to you by the fine folks at Mudwater, M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. Give it a try if you want to do a favor for your brain. And who doesn't want to do a favor for their brain, really? Uh, and also SC Medicinals, scmedicinals.com for your CBD needs. All right. I'm going to play before I get into the thing with my mom and then uh, Carsey Blanton. Oh, speaking of my mom, by the way, there's new line of T-shirts available. Um, yeah, if you if you go to the store and look, you'll see a photo of me and my mom modeling the shirts. They say 96.9% bonobo. Excellent shirt to wear out in public because it's one of those things where some people know what it is and other people have no idea. And the people who know what it is, they'll smile and they'll laugh and they'll come and say hi. And those are the kind of people you want to meet. People who know what bonobos are and feel an affiliation, they tend to be smart, sexy people. Just my observation over the years. So get yourself a 96.9% Bonobo shirt at the store at TangentiallySpeaking.com. And uh, mom will send it right out to you. What was I going to say? Ah, I'm going to play, before I get into the thing with the shirts and Carsey Blanton playing us out with Smoke Alarm, I was going to play just a short little composition Called Canzione d'amor, love song in Italian, um, that a listener named Neil Sorsby, um wrote and I guess plays. Uh, and uh, it's beautiful. He said, I wrote a piece of music today. Uh, if you like it, please play it on your podcast. I'm not looking for recognition, I just wrote it for you. So there you go. Neil, you get a little recognition anyway, because uh, I do like it. It's a beautiful piece of music. So. This is "Canzione di Amore" by Neil Sorsby, and uh, and then you'll hear me and Mom and Carsey Blanton. Thanks for listening. Uh, really cool to be involved in this little project with y'all. Here's to you, Justin and Bennett. Okay, Mom, Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage.
2: Okay, in our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of T-shirts. Sex at Dawn, Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass.
3: (laughs) (laughs) She didn't like saying that last one.
2: Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies, or koozies, or whatever they're called.
3: Oh, civilized to death They're all civilized to death. That's right. We have stickers and car decals, right? Yes. Okay, there you have it. That's Julie, my mom.
2: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say.